Good Friday. There's room for grief, room for hurting, room for needing, room for feeling weak. I always think when this time of year comes around, Good Friday seems like a day that nobody should have to get out of bed. It should be all right to be able to pull the covers over your head and just be and not feel pressured to resolve things prematurely. And that being said, what I'm about to share with you is some pretty rowdy Good Friday action, I must say. I got dressed up and preached in a graveyard in the middle of the night. I've actually not done that before, but I did a few minutes ago. And I don't want to belabor anything. I want to get right into it. I'm so fired up. Um, Yeah. Yeah. What a day. What happened in Tennessee? So terrible. And yet just feel like we heard the spirit of prophecy. Feel like we heard the gospel preached and it got in my bones. And so something gets in your bones. Why not just go to graveyard? I'm such a weirdo. But at least you're here. You're listening. Thanks for that. And speaking of that, hey, really does mean a lot if you're able to like, share, subscribe. Um, the reviews really help. Uh, giving on Patreon helps a whole lot. I really am revising that in a way that will be sustainable because I want to be in touch so much more. So for those of you who support in any way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But hey, I'm just so glad you're listening wherever you are, however you got here. It's Holy uh, holy Week, now Holy Weekend, and it's a big arc, a uh, big story with rooms for all kinds of emotions, all kinds of feelings. And so I hope that in the, in the course of this, as we've got that whole span of death and grief and the ambiguity of Holy Saturday and uh, all the different beats that we hit. I hope that just somewhere, somehow you can find yourself like, say, here I am on the map and not in a way that necessarily clear clarifies everything, but maybe it gives you just a sense like, yeah, gives you language for where you are. The resources to be able to name it, name, this is the place that I am now and to name something of what that feels like and uh, what in whatever loss and whatever consolation, whatever joy. Yeah. To be able to find some language for it. Anyway, welcome back to the Zycast. Let's roll on friends. Well, friends, it is Good Friday night, Good Friday morning, depending on how you look at it. And I am all dressed up at 2.15 in the morning at a graveyard about 10 minutes from my home in Greencastle, Indiana. I don't know if you hear this owl that's already preaching with me. I know I seem like I lost my mind. I will admit that I took my sleeping medication about three or four hours ago. It did no good. I'm too worked up. 
I'm a preacher with no place to preach, so I actually put a shirt and tie on. I'm afraid this might feel gimmicky. I intend it to be the opposite of that. Uh, graveyards are very sacred to me. Uh, a Lenten practice I've encouraged people with a little bit during this Lenten season has been coming to graveyards precisely because there's a sense of gravity here. We remember our mortality. We remember that we don't go on in this form forever. Uh, it brings life into perspective. So I'm coming out here precisely because there's some weight and also because I happen to take seriously this thing that we call the communion of the saints. So that makes me just want to turn around for a second and say, welcome to the family of God who is out here because the things I have to share are good news for y'all and also for y'all. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, these are things that can wake the dead. Um, if you'll permit me, if you don't know anything about me or where I come from, I am, when it comes right down to it, whatever else I am, however else you describe me, I live in a lot of strange and interesting and wonderful intersections uh, with my work at the DePaul University Center for Spiritual Life. Uh, this week, I think this happens three times in a century where Holy Week and Passover and Ramadan converge in the same week. So I have been to two beautiful seders in the last two nights, which I'll probably say a little bit more uh, about uh, in the next few minutes. Uh, we have our first iftar Friday night. All kinds of things are happening. But at the end of the day, as a practicing Christian, as a follower of Jesus, Holy Week is uh, a week that's full of all kind of emotion for me. And during this time, uh, where within all the great traditions that are about awakening and about spring and new life and uh, death and resurrection, I, I just have to testify to something that I heard. And that's really all I'm coming to do, to testify to something I've heard. And as someone who does come from the Pentecostal tradition, instead of doing the work of translation that these days I so often do, I just need to be able to say this. I just need to be able to preach this in my mother tongue, if that's all right with y'all. So earlier today, we saw where two black congressmen from the state of Tennessee, Justin uh, Jones and Justin Pearson were both kicked out of the House of Representatives there. And as I watch all this unfold, I have just been, it's been a wild gauntlet of events here the last few days. I hadn't had my head in any news. I know there's a lot of news this week. Um, all kinds of things that are converging. So interesting, too, in the backdrop of Holy Week. There's a lot I could say about that. Maybe I'll say a little more. But I got to tell you, um, when I heard today both of these brothers in Christ, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, y'all, I heard the sound. Some of you have heard me talk about the sound of God, and I'm going to let myself be my full hillbilly Pentecostal mystic self. I do believe that God has a sound. And scripture talks about testing the spirits, discerning the spirits. I do believe that you have the capacity to discern. I believe there is a sound of God. And that's one of the reasons I think so many of us get uh, confused in a world in which there are so many conflicting voices and so many conflicting messages coming from all kinds of different directions that are pulling at us. We don't trust our own instinct. We don't trust our deepest, truest inner voice to hear that sound. 
Uh, y'all, it's not just about stacking Bible verses on top of each other. We're coming out of land, which is the time that Jesus, of course, faces Satan in the wilderness, where all Satan does is quote scripture out of context to him in a way to discourage him. Uh, the devil loves to quote scripture. Heard a lot of sermons about that in my day. Uh, you can argue for anything from the Bible, theoretically, but you know when you hear the sound. You know when you hear the sound. You know you hear that sound that is tender but fierce. It is bold. It is prophetic insofar that it names the reality of the world that it is, but it also builds bridges into the future as if those very world, those very words rather, um, create a world, open a portal to a world, uh, that is not yet fully present. I love that I hear wild animals all around me. I don't know if y'all can hear that. You know, I'm, I'm feeling real preachy. I'm not even going to apologize for it. Paul says in Romans eight, that the whole creation is groaning and sighing for the restoration that is to come. This is the reason I push back on everybody who's so doomsday and apocalyptic, not, not in the right way. Apocalypse is about revealing, but people who are always, everything's all doom and gloom and end of the world. I do believe in many ways it's the end of the world as we know it, to quote the REM song. But you, the, you have to keep in mind the whole movement of the story. The reason that the creation is groaning and sighing is because there is a restoration that's coming. That's why, and I do feel like preaching with this kind of energy on Good Friday feels like skipping ahead just a little bit. But hearing what I heard today, I'm telling you, I felt the electricity of the Holy Ghost in the words that I heard. Uh, man, when that, uh, when that guy was questioning Justin Jones, and asking him what it means to say no justice, no peace. And the clear implication was to try to frame it as if they're threatening violence, as if they're threatening some kind of like to bring some kind of chaos. And he began to read. In fact, I brought my Bible with me. Yes, it's like that. I came prepared, y'all. And he opened up and read from Jeremiah chapter 6, uh, Jeremiah 6, 14. Ooh, <laughs> the dogs are barking. Do you hear that? That's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, here we go. So the text says that the prophets have been going out and they've been saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. And what they've done, they have treated the wound of my people carelessly. They've treated the wound of my people carelessly, saying peace, peace where there is no peace. Y'all, that is a word. There was this other moment that was so powerful with Justin Pearson, where the lawmaker who got up in front of him spoke with such contempt. And man, I feel a thing on this. You know what I heard in that voice? In the same way that I believe that God has a sound, that I do believe that the spirit of God has a sound, there's a different sound. There's a different voice. And the contempt that was in his voice, the rage beneath the surface, um, the there there was a thing. I, I almost don't want to roll out more adjectives. It feels somehow more effective to just say there's a thing, because that's the thing. If you're dialed into anything, if you're if you're connected to anything spiritual that's happening, you feel the thing. You know the thing. It's unsettling. It's just it's disruptive. Now, how many times have I heard that exact? tone. How many times have I heard that exact voice, that exact mocking tone from a pulpit? 
And how many times have I heard that exact sound from people who are talking about Jesus, who are quoting Bible verses right and left? And yet deep down, I've known, just like you've known, that that's not the sound of God. That's not what the Holy Spirit sounds like. You know when you hear that sound, and you know that's not it. You know that's not the sound. And it was so powerful that in contrast to that, that Justin Pearson, in such a beautiful way, says very softly, any, would anybody here want to be spoken to in this way? And it was just the, the gentleness of the, of the response. Oh, it, there was just, it was a day full of prophetic moments. And I know it's not exactly good news. They got kicked out. And yet I'm telling you, I just felt like something, a disruption in the force today. I really did. Because I do believe that there are principalities and powers. I believe that there are lies. Uh, you know, one of the things I've thought about in the last couple of days, as I mentioned, I've celebrated two wonderful satyrs. Uh, I mean, they've been gorgeous. One at our, um, our university president's home and one, one of our professors. I started to say last night, it was earlier tonight. So same night. And one of the things that was so powerful about that for me is just this idea that what, now track with me is Passover is also this week. Passover, the whole point of Passover is you remember the story to retell the story. That's what Passover is. You retell the story. And, uh, it's interesting to me, actually, that there's not in the Jewish tradition, they're all kind of different versions of like what Christians would call a liturgy because the liturgy is not really a thing. Now, there's an order that the night goes through. Uh, there's an order with the food, but really the words are not so important so much as that the story is told. And I find even that to be so profound because Part of what happens then within the Seder is that the idea is that the big picture, the broad story of God, the, the story of oppression, Exodus reminds us that there are people who are oppressed. Exodus reminds us there are people who are marginalized, and we have to make intentional decisions to choose to work, to fight alongside, to fight for people uh, to be free. But it also reminds us that there is that there is a Pharaoh, the reality of Pharaoh, uh, that there is an emperor to speak in terms of the Roman Empire. One of the things that I've been thinking about just the last uh, little bit, I don't know how anybody's going to feel about this because I've never said this out loud in my life. Um, so we'll see. I've been thinking about how, you know, I share this deep passion that so many Christians do uh, from all kinds of traditions, whether they be Catholic, whether they be Protestants, uh, Episcopal, Anglican, Lutheran, Presbyterian, uh, Pentecostal, Charismatic, so I share this deep passion that the God who inspired these texts, uh, the God, I believe, who uh, moved upon the people of God in the Exodus, this God who's always on the move, I believe that that God is still alive and working and active. I believe that that God is still speaking. I believe that that God is still moving in the world. I believe in the very real power of a very real Holy Spirit. I believe in it. I believe in all the things. And yet for people who would seem to share ostensibly common language of faith with me, I, I, here's where I'm starting to wonder if this is where we actually disagree most. And within our faith communities, we have the same kind of debates all the time, don't we? You know, it's uh, uh, about sexuality or it's about hell or it's about the authority of scripture. Um, 
lots of theology books I read when I was young. It was be four views on this, four views on that. And uh, what are people's views on, on creation or evolution? You know, everything's framed as like that kind of debate. I'm telling you, I, all of those kinds of dualities, none of that rings true right now for me in terms of where I really see the deepest divide between people of faith who would name the name of Jesus. And this is this is just what I'm sensing right now. Well, all Christians would claim that the God of the Bible, that the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rebecca, of Hagar, uh, on down the line, that this God, uh, who for Christians we believe is fully revealed in Jesus, while we share the belief that that God is still on the move, it's interesting how all the other characters in the story are static and one-dimensional and stuck back there. Uh, Pharaoh is still back there. We read these accounts with Jesus that's unfortunately have been horribly misused, especially around scribes and Pharisees. I mean, we now know that Jesus' own practice would really be more like that of a Pharisee. So there's no, he's not slurring Pharisees, not slurring Jews as a Jew. But what Jesus is always getting at is superficial religion. He's always coming after uh, external practice, external piety. He's always getting, at, uh, you know, coming c- coming after. I think something even deeper than that, a religion that's built on scapegoating, to use a little Rene Girard language, uh, that's built on accusation, that has the energy, the animating energy of accusation. See, when I heard that lawmaker talk, that's what I heard. That's a sound. That's a sound. And can I be real Pentecostal here for a minute? For me, it's a spirit. There is a spirit to that. And whether you think of that as like spirit is like a disposition, they have a spirit or like a spirit, whatever... Yes, by me. There, there's a thing. There's a thing on that. And that thing, when it's loose in a crowd, which feels especially creepy right now with all these things howling around me at three o'clock in the morning, when, uh, when you're, when that thing gets loose in a crowd and a crowd turns into a mob and they've got somebody to blame, it becomes vicious. It becomes dangerous. It becomes something toxic. Now, there's so much I want to say right now. See, the problem is too many Christians have not listened to the voices that we have on the underside. We have not been listening to the faithful witnesses that we have in the church. I can tell when I listen to uh, Justin Jones, Justin Pearson, the kind of preaching they've been sitting under. I can tell they've been sitting under the luminaries. I can tell they've been sitting under the greats. And while I don't, I don't claim to be one of those greats, I don't claim to be a prophet at all. Uh, I do know a prophet when I see one, I have been, and I listen to them and I have those folks in my life and I'm telling you, and I don't mean it as a slight to anybody else, but for so many Christians right now, I'm like, oh, y'all are just listening to the wrong voices. You're just not listening to the voices that are telling us the truth from the underside. You're just not. You're just not listening to the voices that are in tune with what God by God's spirit is really doing in the moment. You're listening to people who may be loud, they may be animated, they may be soothing fears, they may be exercising some demons, they may be working out some issues uh, that you have with the world, they might make you feel better. But I'm telling you, so much of what we hear right now, and uh, I'm not just talking about traditions like mine, uh, and I think it's so true across all kinds of um, North American Christianity, y'all, it's just punditry. 
it's punditry. It's it's not prophecy, it's punditry. Anybody could say it, anybody could do it. It's the same business people hear on Facebook. In fact, that's where they that's where they get it. And whatever they hear on Facebook, they're running out and they're telling. And Oh, it's so boring. It's just the same old stuff. It's just the same old just rehashing and rehearsing. Not rehearsing the story, not retelling the story, not remembering the story of the God who raised Israel up out of Egypt, not remembering that the the God of the oppressed, who is still the God of the oppressed and is still setting free people from oppression, not the God who sets the captives free. And so this is what I fear happens. Like, we're so used to those texts and no one ever reads these texts and then thinks like that they're Pharaoh. No one ever reads these texts and thinks, Oh, I am, I am the pious one in the story who thinks that they have it all right, but really is couldn't be more misguided. Now I've had those moments and they've been devastating. They changed my life. Uh, uh, how to survive a shipwreck, a book I wrote not to make a plug, but I tell this at length. Um, I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me that there were some, uh, kinds of stories that basically I were people I was keeping at a distance because I was, a, I, I knew deep down that their stories would take me places that I would not choose to go. And that devastated me. Um, there've been a number of times where I've had to come to see my place as the one who has, who had oppressed or who had hurt or harmed. Uh, to see myself in the wrong. But, you know, generally when we read these texts, we don't do that. Nobody ever reads themselves as uh, as the one who's getting it wrong. And everybody, Lord knows right now, wants to read themselves as being uh, the oppressed, wants to read themselves as being the martyr. Hey, I just got to say it. Whatever you think about uh, President Trump and all that's happening right now, what a contrast that during this week where I've heard a lot of martyr narratives there, and then... These two black representatives kicked out of their state Congress. And wow, y'all, let me, can I just preach? I don't even have a microphone, to, but if I had one, I'd love to preach right to it. Can I just preach to you? Did you hear a different spirit? Did you feel a different spirit? Did you hear a different sound? Oh, come on. Can't you hear that? Deep down, you can hear that. I don't care if you, you might have been listening to certain kinds of news all day, every day for a long time. Something rumbled in your spirit when you heard that, because you know that there is a different sound on those brothers. There is a different sound on those prophetic preachers of the gospel than the sound that you've been getting out there. You know that that is not the same sound. Hey, community of God out here. Do y'all hear the sound? I'm telling you, the the dead could hear that sound and can feel the electricity. Uh, <laughs> me and Joel joke around a lot that there, uh, the old line we'd use in the Pentecostal church, if that don't light you, if that don't light your fire, then your wood is wet, <laughs> which is hilarious to say on many levels. And, uh, and I feel like using the night, y'all, if that don't light your fire, your wood is wet. And maybe it seems like, goodness, 3 a.m. on Good Friday, Boy, I, I, maybe it seems like skipping over the hard reality, but I'm telling you, I just felt something of the release in that today. Because here's what I know. The sound that I heard today, that's a sound that you can't keep down. You cannot keep that sound down. And for all y'all, by the way, I just got to throw this out there. 
who love MLK and once a year you put up those quotes that you Google and you find and it somehow manages to make MLK into like Ronald McDonald and turn him into a universal symbol of friendship and puppies and like whatever else. This person who the last year of his life, the most miserable year of his life, everybody tuned him out because he would not stop preaching about economic injustice and he would not stop preaching about the empire, would not stop talking about Vietnam, would not stop talking about war. So that's the thing. Uh, Nobody minds if you preach about Jesus so long as you don't touch their money or their war. Dr. King was meddling with both. And even uh, many, many folks within his own civil rights movement said, hey, you're losing focus. This is, we're going to lose too many people with this if you just, if you keep talking about money and war. But he just kept telling the truth. He just kept preaching those things. And now we turn them into this, you know, we have statues of Dr. King. We name things after them. But at the end of the day, uh, come on now. If you don't, if you don't recognize the spirit of God in the sound that we heard today, you would not have recognized it then. And I'm telling you what, if you don't hear that other kind of sound, that, that lawmaker that, that I reference, Andrew Farmer, if you don't hear the thing I'm talking about in that sound, then you wouldn't recognize the sound of Bull Connor either. Because y'all, again, it's the same, it's the same sound. It's the same spirit. And we're in that kind of moment. We are. We're in that kind of moment. Now, I know, and here's where I'm going to, it's going to get a little hairier for just a second. I know that for some folks, uh, where I come from, I seem like I'm out on a, uh, a limb with some of these things, but I'm, I'm telling you again, cause I'm preaching the language of my, of my mother tongue tonight. I want to tell you why this, uh, why I am where I am. You know, it was exactly in my Pentecostal tradition that what was ingrained in me was the prophecy from the book of Joel mediated to us through the book of Acts that in the last day says God, I will pour, man, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. In the last day says God, I will pour, pour out my spirit upon all flesh, all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And the way we always understood that is that that was not just a prophecy that was fulfilled in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit is first given in that way, but that there's this idea that a time is yet coming, a fullness of time where the Holy Spirit will be given out in even um, a greater volume. And again, what was it? All flesh, all flesh, all flesh, all kinds of flesh. And see, I, I've, I've felt this for so long. You know, I hear so much um, complaining about, you know, the sort of kids today and nobody gets it and everybody's going to hell in a handbasket. But y'all, I truly believe this. Our sons and daughters are prophesying. They are prophesying to us. And because they don't necessarily look like some of us thought, think they're supposed to look because gener- generationally, um, stylistically, so many things are deeply different. But you hear the sound. If you listen closely, you hear the sound. And students protesting this week, my God, I have heard the sound. That is the sound of God. That is the sound of the Holy Spirit. I'm encouraged by that sound. I believe in that sound. For my Christian friends who are like, oh, you really think this is just about getting guns? Man, uh, that's a different sermon for a different time. Uh, I will never get over the weirdness. You know, this is where some of y'all miss it on the cross. Uh, you know what? Uh, the cross becomes a powerful symbol to us. The idea 
is that what makes the cross what it is, is that Jesus overcomes the cross. Jesus overcomes death that comes through an oppressive empire as a brown-skinned man. Jesus overcomes that through resurrection. But death is not our friend. Uh, the idea that you don't defend the cross, <laughs> that's the weirdest thing. The idea of like Christians going out and like, like yeah, being like pro-crosses would be the oddest possible thing. Uh, I have an awful lot of, of thoughts about this as a follower of Jesus. But again, I just feel like it's another sermon for another time. Uh, the point right now is that I see and hear the Spirit of God uh, in our kids. And I think it is a different kind of movement of the Spirit outside the walls of the institution. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And for it, it's a weird time to be alive, but it's an exciting time to be alive because I absolutely believe that the Spirit is turning some things upside down and inside out. People ask me this whole sort of deconstruction, whatever you want to call it. People are disillusioned and disenchanted. And like, uh, what do you think is going on with that? Like, who's responsible for all that? I think they're expecting me to say the devil. I'm going to always give the answer with a little bit of mischief, the Holy Spirit. I think the truth of the matter is the house got a bit too small. Our institutions got a bit too confining. Nothing wrong with sacred spaces. I love them. Trouble is when we start to think that God lives there, God is out here. God is in the wild. And uh, we don't know that until things get shaken up. And so things continue to get shaken up. And by the way, that's traumatic. And I want to acknowledge that living through that for so many people uh, is is full of so much pain. So I don't say that glibly or like that's no big deal. It's full of trauma. But don't miss that the Spirit is at work in the shaking, that the Spirit is the one that is uh, causing power structures and principalities and powers to tremble. And I do believe that, um, I do believe that there are good things that's coming. Tell you what, I'm going to go here too, because it's worth saying, uh, part of, you know, when, uh, and I, it, maybe it sounds overly simplistic. And I love, I love to engage people on scripture. I could talk Bible literally all night long, obviously, uh, it is, it is the middle night, but I will, I will say this. When I speak in simple, clear terms about whether or not you hear the sound, y'all, I really can't get over my heartbreak. You know, I sat down and had a beautiful lunch for about two and a half hours last week with my friend, uh, Veronica, who is the only openly uh, trans person elected in the state of Indiana. And I tell you, to see the way that again, and it feels like this just keeps happening right now, the way the trans community in particular is scapegoated. You know, the this, the way this one shooting has turned into, when 99% of the shootings we've had have been from people that look like me, white men, and no one's throwing a fit about that or feeling unsafe. The The narratives that are being pushed about the folks who are most marginalized, exponentially more likely to be bullied, exponentially more likely to commit suicide, the level of, of rhetoric and the fear mongering and the idea of oh, like that there, there are packs of trans people who are out that want to hurt us and are looking, you know, I'm telling you, it's, it's demonic. And for those of you who do that, all you've got, all you've got is because that for you, um, there's this sense that all of that looks and feels, it's so unfamiliar to you. So that, that just looks so weird. I'm telling you, um, if you 
would go into the still small voice and listen for the sound, you would know there is something deeply wrong, deeply distorted. See, you don't have to have, and I, gosh, I'm talking to so many Christians at all times, sorting all kinds of complicated things about sexual ethics. Does it really have to be that complicated that uh, people who are already deeply marginalized being bullied is a really, really bad thing? And that fear-mongering, um, literally the, the very definition of Satan is he's, is he's the, he's the accuser. Hasidim. That's what we get in the, in uh, Hebrew first. He is the accuser. That's actually his job description. Whereas Jesus conversely in the New Testament is described as the advocate. We are never more like Jesus than we advocate. We are more, never more like the Satan than when we accuse the energy of accusation to scapegoat a small, small sliver of the population of everything that vexes us. And you can feel it. You can feel the sense of people trying to purge all their ambiguity, all the things about the world that feel uncertain right now, all the things they don't know what to do with it. They're trying to purge it on one group of people that already face such enormous challenges. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is not in that. And if you listen deeply enough, you know the Holy Spirit is not in that. And y'all can say all you want that the world's going to hell in a handbasket. But I heard those prophets today and uh, students are protesting. Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm fired up. Well, you can tell I'm fired up. So what do you do with all this? Well, first of all, it's Good Friday night. Uh, the very fact that hearing some of the things that we heard the other way, the very fact that um, these men were kicked out and having to listen to things that people have heard. There is a lot of things in that that stir up a lot of pain. So first of all, Good Friday is a time to sit with the pain. Uh, Good Friday is a time to remember that there is a never new life until there is first death. And we have to go all the way down that path of ashes, descent and grief into that long, that, that long night, um, all the way through to the other side of dying. So that means that there is space to grieve. That means there is space to mourn. That means there is space to not be okay with the world as it is. Oh my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. I referenced the apostle Paul earlier. The whole creation is groaning with sighs too deep for words for the restoration that is coming. Oh my goodness. We need to be groaning. We need sighs too deep for words. We need, uh, to, to, to pray with, uh, with, languages that are deeper than our own. We need, uh, we need new size. We need new words. We need to, we need to be able to groan. Uh, so there needs to be space for groaning and for weeping and for mourning for all the ways that the world is not yet right. Uh, Holy Saturday, we need room for ambiguity. We need room for in-between space. We need room for not really being here, but not really being there. We need room for having left one home, but not really found a home just yet. We need room uh, to know and to not know. We need room to be still. We need room to not be okay. We need room to be uncertain and not try to force some kind of new certainty. Uh, we need room for the ambiguity. And Holy Saturday gives us room for all of that. But friends... I will say again, try not to telegraph my punches and knowing that um, part of the drama of this story, I do think it's important that we walk this in paces, but I just think maybe somebody needs to hear this right now, no matter what time you're listening to it, 
yes, we need Good Friday. We ha- we don't have public spaces for lament and for weeping and for mourning, and we desperately need them. And we desperately need the ambiguity of Holy Saturday. God knows we don't have spaces, do we, to hold together tension. We need that kind of, we need the space for ambiguity. But how much do we need resurrection? How much do, do you, do you feel it? Do you feel every cell in you crying out for newness, for newness? God, I feel it out in this graveyard right now, crying out for newness, crying out for the restoration that's coming, crying out for life on the other side, Um, not accepting the narrative, not accepting the script that everything just has to get more and more unhinged. Uh, I'll do my apocalyptic sermon another time, but y'all, I just so believe this, you know, that very text I referenced in Romans, this is all I got about that for now. And I got to wrap this thing up and go to bed at some point. That very same text, you know, what Paul says there is that what the creation is actually waiting for is the revelation of the children of God. The earth itself is groaning and sighing for the revelation of the children of God. Now, unfortunately, the way a lot of our end times theology has been mediated to us, we got a lot of people sitting at the bus stop waiting for Jesus. But isn't it interesting that Paul gives us an image, not of, you know, sit at the bus stop and wait for Jesus, but the world waiting on us. In other words, and I'm not in us even in terms of like in this elite way, Christians, waiting for people to awake to their belovedness, for people to know who they are. That's That was the kind of courage and bold, tender, fierce witness that we heard today from Justin Pearson, from Justin Jones. That was the sound of belovedness, people who know they are. Uh, there was, <laughs> goodness, the poise, uh, the clarity. How often do you hear that? That's, to us now, it seems like people who come from another world, because in a way they do, because they're grounded in a tradition. They're grounded in a story that's bigger than them. And uh, goodness, the black church tradition just continues to be. It's why, again, I, I sit at the feet of these luminaries, too, because um, I want to be grounded in that same kind of reality where, to quote Rowan Williams, we see in people here and there glimpses of a world we'd like to live in, could imagine ourselves and our better days living in anyway. Um, but yeah, I just think the the world is waiting on those kind of witnesses. And we don't have to be heroes. We don't know heroics. We don't have to be heroes. I'm not trying to be a hero right now. I'm not coming out of the graveyard to do, uh, it's not an attempt to be dramatic. I, I do want to bear witness though. I do want to bear witness. That was the thing that made me get out of my bed and put on an actual shirt and tie and come and do this in the middle of the night. Cause I was like, you know what? I have heard the sound of God so clear today. I have heard the, I have felt the electricity of the Holy Spirit. I am not going to let my head hit the pillow before I bear witness to somebody somewhere sometime to say yes and amen to uh, to hearing a truthful witness. And this is going to sound like going too far for some of y'all, but you know, uh, Revelation, which is full of all kinds of, of, of imagery and symbolism, talks about two witnesses. And goodness, there's just something about the, the power and truth of these two witnesses right now. Two witnesses. You know, the uh, man, I, I'm getting so preachy right now, I can't stand myself. So I can't imagine how you must feel. But you know what the two witnesses do, actually? The two witnesses in the book of, of Revelation, uh, 
they they embody the story of that second scroll. The little scroll is opened up and it's like, it really is like a microcosm of the big story of Revelation. The two witnesses um, kind of give us the, uh, the, the summary version, the short version of the big story, which is ultimately they lay down their own lives uh, so that uh, the the God that is revealed as the Lamb uh, is comes into power, comes to achieves his victory through their sacrifice, which, boy, does that get misread through Revelation. People think it's all like, well, there's war and there's bloodshed. Read a little bit closer. Jesus, who comes out on a white horse, uh, the rider is called Faithful and True, and on his head are, are many crowns. I love the image. It's such a powerful one. But G- Jesus comes out riding on a horse, and he's wearing a robe that's been dipped in blood, but it is not the blood of his enemies. It's a robe that is dipped in his own blood. And the point of revelation is that God overcomes the forces of the world. And that is not the world as in like slurring the earth, but the world as in principalities and power systems and structures of embodied evil, injustice, oppression. God has overcome the world through God's own self-sacrifice, through God's own self-sacrifice, through God's own self-giving, uh, through the sacrifice of the lamb, which is what we get all throughout the, the book of Revelation. The lamb has overcome through the lamb's own sacrifice. And I'm just saying, uh, and I know they weren't killed, but boy, did, I feel like that it was something of that little story. It was something of that little scroll to, uh, today again, like, oh, this feels dark for a minute, but boy, this, this is, this is reminding me of the big story again. This is reminding me of, of how this resurrection story always looks. This is reminding me what faithful witness always looks like. And good Lord, man, the, the way that they, the, the way that these, and I'll say it again, these prophets of God, we're so calm and so clear and looking everybody eyeball to eyeball and just telling the truth, speaking the truth in love, not demonizing, not vilifying, but boy, speaking the truth and feeling that animating gospel energy and electricity. It just did my heart such, such good. But it reminds me of, it was a, this Easter weekend, right? Friday through Sunday in just three days, capture something of that big story of death and resurrection that has happened, is happening, is always happening, the cycle's always happening, but that draws us into that story again. And I just feel drawn into that story again. And as it always is in that story, no death is an end. Death is always the beginning. Uh, God is always taking the elements of what seems to be passing away to create something new. And that's part of what I love. You know, if, uh, Paul writes there, if, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things pass away. But here's the idea. It's not that, you know, you don't have the same skin. It's not that you don't have the same personality. You're you, and yet you're something more. And that's part of the reason I'm so passionate about this idea, you know, that God's not going to just uh, burn up the earth. I know there's language of fire and Peter, but see, these Orthodox can help us with this uh, from that side of the tradition. The, the, the fire of God purifies, it does not destroy. And while part of what's happening, part of the pain of this time is I think, um, we're feeling the heat of some of those flames, uh, that will purify us if we let it. Ultimately, it also is a refiner's fire that is not for our destruction, but it's actually to make things new. 
And I'm saying all that to say that there is the possibility of becoming new. Uh, there is a possibility of becoming um, our whole selves, really the selves that we always were, uh, but to finally be able to fully own that, to own the fullness of our belovedness, to finally know our own name, uh, and to be able to speak um, to, to speak people's names over them. you know, lest you be concerned that at that point I was not attacked by any of the wild animals you might have heard in the background. The video just simply cut off. I thought to myself, I believe that the Lord is finished with this word. Thanks for joining me, y'all, for the Zycast. Hope that your Easter weekend is rich and full that you find yourself in the story. We'll do this again real soon.